Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. If you're newer visiting, we're going through the book of Acts. We're wrapping it up. And then we're going to go into the book of 1 Corinthians. And I think we'll probably do that in, a, in a, probably four or five weeks. So we're getting close. We're going to wrap up chapter 27 this morning. And last week, we started to travel with Paul, Luke, Aratarchus, starting their sea voyage, starting their sea voyage towards Rome. And they made it as far as fair havens with the weather working against them a whole way. Once they had arrived at Fair Havens, Paul had warned the centurion, the captain, and the owner of the ship not to continue on with this journey, but to stay in Fair Havens for the winter. Those in authority as well as the crew thought it best to head on to Phoenix to winter there. It was only 40 miles away. So that's not very far. And the surroundings were much better. So they ignored Paul and started off to Phoenix. But shortly thereafter, they found themselves in a storm that caused seasoned the crew to lose heart, believing that surviving the storm was not going to happen. Days had passed, and we took note that even Paul, Paul, a seasoned saint, had become concerned over the outcome of his voyage. But God sent an angel to encourage Paul and remind him that he was going to stand before Caesar to share his Christian faith. Paul then in turn shared this with the rest of the people on board. He told them that they would all be kept safe from this storm, but the storm continued and they didn't have a clue where they were. So we'll pick it up in verse 27 of chapter 27. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So here it is, this number of days have passed since Paul shared with the people, and we now learn it's been 14 days Two whole weeks of bobbing up and down, not knowing where you are, where you're going. They're wondering if they would ever see dry land again. This is hard for you and I to really comprehend this unless you're driving across Texas during the day. (laughs) Then you can get a small glimpse of this. It was during that night on the 14th day, someone sensed that they were getting close to land. So what did they do? They, They threw a line overboard, had a weight on it. And they measured the depth of the sea at that point. And after they traveled a little bit further, they did the exact same thing again. They found that they were drawing closer to land, so they dropped the anchors, and they were waiting for morning. Morning was going to come. And we touched on this last week, but I'd like to touch on it again. Different verses, but a common theme from last week. Because, guys, we're in a storm, and it's going to get worse. As Christians... Are we supposed to be trial or tribulation free? As Christians, are we supposed to be trial or tribulation free? Is everything just supposed to be easy in our lives? Now, when you 
talk with some Christians, you could get that impression or they might tell you, yes, that's the way it should be. Your best life now. Well, let's look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. My best life is yet to come. Praise God. I thank God for everything we have. We're spoiled here in America. Absolutely spoiled. When we think of what's going on in other parts of this world, we are so blessed. John 15, 19, Jesus says, If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, notice that, we're ambassadors for Christ, which means we should be different. And we've covered this in previous studies. That means we don't um, go hide in the forest. No, 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 no. We need to be in work. We need to be rubbing elbows with people that are going to hell, just like people rubbed elbows with us and helped us to know we were going to hell, that we needed a savior. So we're not talking about escaping, getting away from everything, not at all. Jesus is saying, you know what? I've chosen you out of the world. You're my ambassador now. You are going to heaven. You'll see this clearer as we go. Remember, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute who? You, the believer. Not just any person. Specifically, they're going to persecute the believer. Now we have Republicans persecuting Democrats and vice versa and all this other nonsense that Satan is trying to stir up all the hate amongst groups and whatnot. But it's very, very clear here. Jesus says, they're going to persecute you. Why? If they, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. What is he pointing to? Because of the word of God. Not because of your political affiliation, but because of the word of God. John 16, 33. Just turn the page if you need to. John 16, 33 says this. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Not in your 401k, which we have and are investing in. Which not in your house, which we have and we're taking care of. Not in, so I'm not negating, negating any earthly responsibilities here. We have to be responsible. But don't put your trust in it. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How about 1 Thessalonians 3? 1 Thessalonians 3. And again, these are different verses than we went over last week. So if you were here, don't think this is the same study like I didn't have time to study. These are different verses. I had time to study. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, verse 2, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to do what? To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word of God, not faith in the government. That no one should be shaken by these, what? Afflictions, trials, tribulations that you're going through as a believer you Thessalonians, you young Christians of the first century church. 
For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. What we just read about? If they persecuted me, don't be surprised when they persecute you. But yet we are often surprised. Verse 4, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. So before it came to pass, we warned you. We warned you. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And thinking about Paul's seasoned life. Paul's seasoned life. He's been through a whole lot. When you're having a bad day, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read Paul's life, what he went through. And you're going to go, wow, I don't have such a bad day. It's actually really a good day. Romans chapter 8, 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So guys, where is Jesus? He's seated at the th- right next to the Father's throne. He's not up there wringing his hands. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder who's going to get in office. I wonder what's going to take. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So now Paul's making a point to the early Christians who are going through trials and tribulations, wondering what is going on. So Paul makes this perfectly clear. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And this is literally taking place in other countries. Christians are being martyred for Christ. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you guys get that? It's easy to read these scriptures and just blow right through them and go, yeah, yeah, I've read that for the last 20 years. Do you know what it means? We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We'll talk about it. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing, which would be everything. Jesus spoke everything into being shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we look back in, well, we're actually going to go to John chapter 10 if you'd like to. See, because of our trials and tribulations, we have the opportunity to grow, to mature in our faith so that we might take on the attributes of Christ. And again, I mentioned this last week. It is through the trials and tribulations that we become more than conquerors. Think about that phrase, more than conquerors. You see, in this life of wars, when someone conquers someone else, it's only a matter of time before someone else comes along and does the conquering. The pleasure of worldly victory is only momentarily. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can move past the trials and tribulations that this world can throw at me and through prayer move into the peace that surpasses human understanding. 
That's what this is saying more than a conqueror. I can have peace, peace of mind, peace in my soul that no one can get through conquering another land. Because sooner or later, they're going to get conquered. It happens. Just look at history. It continually happens. See, it's not a temporal, physical peace, but an internal mental peace. So I can actually have mental rest and peace through my trials and tribulations. Again, the Holy Spirit told us through Paul that no matter what this life brings across my path as a Christian, I know that God loves me and that his love for me will what? Never fail. Never fail. Whatever I bring upon myself, whatever the enemy brings upon me, I am still a child of God and God loves me unconditionally. You see, Paul has been through everything imaginable in his lifetime as a Christian and now in his late 60s, early 70s. Can you imagine this? Going through 14 days, late 60s, early 70s? You know, this is not even a Motel 6 here. He's going to be shipwrecked once again. And this is his fourth time of being shipwrecked in his life. Has he become stronger through all of these things? We just read the answer. He didn't become weaker. Paul acknowledged that nothing, absolutely nothing, was going to change the love that God had for him. How can God say that? Because time after time, guys, look back at your life and start realizing what's going to take place in the future. Although we don't know, it's going to get worse. So that when it comes, you go, eh, God, you got this. What's the big deal? Look at all you did for me the last, I can look at for the last 42 years. (laughs) What's going to be the next 20? I'm 60, so hope I don't live that long, but... Can you handle that? If you handle the last 42, can you handle I think you can. I think you got this. You see, the Holy Spirit worked miracles through the circumstances of his life, no matter how bleak the circumstances look to him. Do circumstances look bleak for America right now? They do. They are. Through Paul's trials and tribulations, God's love was reaching out to others as well as to Paul himself. And Paul has come to realize that. And we're going to see it happen again in just a few verses. Fourteen days have passed. The fear of death was even upon Paul. It's passed. We're now going to get off this stinking boat. So here's a question that we can pull from our study here. What day are you on in your trial or tribulation? What day are you on? Has it been 14 days, 14 months, 14 years? Have you thrown physical things overboard in order to gain temporal hope of deliverance? Have you despaired even of life? Hang in there. God loves you and has a plan for you and even for those around you. Don't give up because God is trying to mature you as well as myself through the trials and tribulations. John 10, 28 through 30. Jesus speaking. And I give unto them eternal life. Not the government. The government does not give us eternal life. No, Jesus gives eternal life. And they shall never perish. When you look up that word perish, it means eternal separation from God. Jesus knows everybody's going to die. So sometimes, I'm not a Greek scholar, you can do this. You just get out the books and you go, what does that mean? Oh, that's what it means. Eternal separation from God. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Guys, we got to cling to this. No matter how bad people might try to make it for us as believers, 
God's got a plan. We're not going to get out of his hand. My father, verse 29, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So guys, sit right now, just take your left hand and take your right hand. Let's say Jesus is the left and the father's the right and hold them together. This isn't an Allstate commercial. This is the word of God. You're going to have your hands with you, hopefully, to the day you die. I know accidents happen. So when you get really anxious or worried or consumed with fear or whatever, just take and put your hands together. And remember the word of God. You're not getting out of his hands. He's not going to drop you. He's not going to let you jump out. It's impossible. He's in eternity. He knows how precious eternity is. We can say some of the dumbest things in a moment of emotion and throw our lives away. God will never let us do that, ever. Eternal life is that precious. I, verse 30, I and my Father are one. And this is why the Jews picked up stones to kill Jesus. When the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses or Islam or Buddhism or anybody says, well, Jesus was never God. Jesus never claimed to be God. Just take them back to the scriptures and say, no, you're wrong. And once again here, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. We're co-equal. We are God. Verse 30, back in Acts 27, verse 30 through 32. Because now we're going to see who's in control of the ship now. You see, Paul has earned their respect, and now he is calling the shots. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul's calling the shots. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. That was the lifeboat, basically. You see, very important principle. People will watch you as you go through your trials. And they will have a tremendous amount of respect for you if you stick with your beliefs. These soldiers knew who Paul was. And Paul has gained a tremendous amount of respect. And again, we'll touch on it here in a little bit. Verse 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying... Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And even when he had said these, and when he had said these things, Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. All of them. What a witness. What a testimony. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. So we see here that Paul is the example. He begins to eat, which encourages the others to eat as well. And again, this ties in with what I just shared about. Your faith can build confidence about God in someone else's life. 
He reminds them that they're going to be safe and sound. The trial will soon be over, and God is the one who's going to deliver them, verses 37 through 39. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach, unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. I really like this. You know, see, once they were assured of their salvation, they ate what they needed and they threw the rest away. They were so glad to know that the next day they were going to be off this ship that they didn't focus on storing stuff, but just threw it overboard to lighten the load. Now, we want to be careful that we don't over-spiritualize scriptures. We can do this. I can, anybody can do this. We want to be very careful. That becomes very, very dangerous. So I'm just using this to create a subtle, do- I'm not using this to create a subtle doctrine, but just something to offer some food for thought. Okay, so there's no doctrine here, none of that nonsense. If we are assured of our salvation, here's a question. Should we start lightening the load of this world? If we're assured of our salvation, shouldn't we start lightening the load of this world? What do I mean by that? Shouldn't we become content with what the Lord has given us for this day and start throwing away some of those things that are bogging us down mentally as well as physically? Those things that might be taking our eyes off of eternity? You see, these men knew that they were heading towards land and we know that they're heading toward, and we know that we're heading towards heaven. Their salvation was just hours away as we look forward, as they look forward to the dawn. Are we looking forward to that new dawn that ushers us into eternity? That's the parallel that I can, not over-spiritualizing, none of that nonsense. Just asking some simple questions to think about. Is that where my eyes are at? Verse 40, and they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Here we go, guys. Let's make it to this land, whatever it is. We don't know where we're at. They didn't know at this point it was an island. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the pro struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plans was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might not be familiar with this, but culturally, um, Again, you'll find this in the Bible per se, but when you go back and study Roman culture, if you had a prisoner and the prisoner escaped, whatever consequence they were going to receive, you as the Roman guard would receive that consequence. So they just didn't let people off. And so this was, this was going to be very, very damaging. But notice what takes place. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim aboard, those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Love it, love it. The Roman guards, again, had a plan, but God had a bigger plan. We see here the first mention of surfing in the Bible. (laughs) Grab a board and head to foreshore. Now, I don't really care for surfing because I got one of those boogie boards one time and I didn't know what I was doing. So that's probably why I don't care for it. Nobody educated me. So I was out in the ocean and I was watching other people do it. I go, this is really simple. I can do this. 
And so I got on it, and a wave came, and I started paddling, and all of a sudden I got in front of the wave. And so naturally, what do you do? You pick up your head. So I picked up my head, and the wave smacked me into this thing called sand because there was no water there anymore. And I heard my back go, all the way up. And fortunately, I had it tied around my ankle, so when I came up, I was like, Literally, like, I'm hanging on the sucker for dear life. And the lifeguard, I see, when I pay attention, I see he's kind of on his toes looking at me like, what's the idiot doing out there? <laughs> I never went again. That was enough for me. Yeah, this is great. I love this. Let's do this again. <laughs> How many of them made it to shore? All of them. They all made it to shore, just as the Lord had promised. Here's the point. How many of God's children are going to make it to heaven? Every single one of us. Some will be swimming hard towards the beach. Others will be gasping for air, trying to stay afloat. And yet others will be floating on the surface, barely hanging on. But each and every believer will make it. So again, a few questions to wrap up this study. How do you, as a believer, take to make this very, very personal to you, How do you desire to appear when you show up in heaven? How do you, as a Christian, desire to show up in heaven? Frazzled and bewildered? Hair all over the place? Shocked that you made it? Or look at somebody else and go, you made it. And they look back at you and they go, you made it. This is unbelievable that you made it. Or are you ready to give praise for all that God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is done and is doing in and through your life? Let's look at Matthew 26 and we'll wrap it up with this verse. Because guys, this is a key verse for my life. We've got to stay focused on eternity. The enemy wants to cause fear in our lives. Wants us to put our trust in the government. Put our trust in a check put our trust in a vaccine, put our trust here, there, blah, 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 blah. And again, I believe in science. I appreciate science. I I like everything that it can do, but I'm not going to put my whole trust in it. Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart, your soul, your, your life, your whole being, for where your treasure is. What did Jesus say? Store up treasure in heaven where thieves cannot steal, where moths cannot eat, where rust does not corrupt. But what do we do, especially in America? We store up on earth and we store and we store and we store. And I've helped a lot of people move over the years and I'm like, why in the world are you taking this to the next place? Boxes that have been in a garage for 10 to 15 years unopened. I'm like, ah, this is the last move I'm going to do, and then I help again. I want a knucklehead. That's part of the body of Christ. We help one another, and we pray. Wake them up, Lord. This is all going to burn. Wake them up. But we cling to this stuff. So guys, in these days we're living in, this is real. Okay, in California, is California right next door? Feel free to shake your head if you're new to Arizona, because it is. Is there a Calvary Chapel pastor this past week that was threatened with jail 
because he's opening his church and he's letting other churches come and use his facility? Was he threatened with jail? Yes. They dropped that, but he's still on trial. It's not over. And right now there's over a million dollars in fines hanging over his head and over the body of Christ. Because he's not going to pay it. He's not going to be able to pay it. Fear and intimidation. You are a Christian. Over 16 additional deaths per day in the United States per state. They're coming after Christianity. Specifically, as you read this document, by the time you're done with it, you're going to go, oh my goodness. They want in God we trust off of money. They don't want the president saying, God bless you. No mention of Judeo-Christian background. It's, it's all in that document. Read it yourself. And if you don't, don't blame anybody else. But they are coming after Christians specifically. You will not find them coming after Muslims in this document. You will not find them coming after Jehovah Witnesses in this document. Mormons, Buddhists, you will not find that. Christianity is specifically mentioned in this document. You are the problem, and we need to take care of that problem. No, we're the solution. We have the answers to eternal life. We just got to wake them up, because we were the same way, right? I don't know about you, but I used to do things, and when those weird people came around me, I didn't like them, but they were right side up. I was the one that was upside down. And through Christ and through the word of God, they help me get right set up again. That's just reality, guys. Let's stay focused. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you that you do have us right side up. This world is upside down. This world is perishing. This world is hoping in the next check. This world, many people in this country, millions, tens of millions of people have put their hope in this current administration. What a false hope. No administration is going to save us. Only you, Father, will be able to save us. Only your Son will be able to save us. Only your Holy Spirit, who is wooing us to the cross even right now. Maybe there's someone in this room as the saints are praying right now. Maybe there's someone in this room and you do not have Jesus as your Savior. You're banking on your intellect. You're banking on your skills, your business skills. You're banking on... (laughs) You need Jesus because you are a sinner in need of a Savior as most of us in this room have acknowledged at one time or another. And so we're praying for your soul right now and maybe someone's watching on the internet right now. People are praying for your soul right now and so if that is you... If you're with us right now this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you ask Jesus to become your Savior right here, right now. I'm not going to have you do anything weird, so don't panic, don't freak out. Stay focused. That's between you and God. If you would admit to God that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I will accept Jesus as my Savior. You will become a son or a daughter of God. The Bible tells us so. John chapter 3. So I'm going to say a short prayer and 
Again, don't get hung up on the prayer. It's just a prayer. It's about your heart. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I am a sinner. I know it. I can try to kid myself, but I know I fall short of perfection. I sin on a regular basis. Which tells me I need a Savior. Because heaven is perfect. And I am not. So God, I, I ask Jesus to save me. I'm not sure what that means, but I trust you're going to show me through your word, through other Bible-believing Christians. I'll come to really grasp it. But for now, I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life. And right this very second as I pray this, your Holy Spirit is taking up residence in my life. And I am now a new creation. You saved me. All my sins, past, present, and future, are now covered by the blood of Jesus. And I say thank you, God, for doing what I could have never done, saving me. Thank you. Thank you that I can now call you Father, my Father. And that I am now your son. I am now your daughter. Thank you, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.